Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul DeTino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. You can also chime in via Twitter. Hashtag Giants Chat. And a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the course of the season. So a lot to tackle over the next 60 minutes. We'll get to your phone calls. We'll get to your tweets. Paul, let's start on the injury front because that to me is probably the most important subject as the Giants get set to host the New Orleans Saints this week and everybody keeping close tabs on specifically Olivier Vernon and Eli Apple. Vernon has yet to play this season. Eli Apple missed the last game. It seems as if both players though are trending in the right direction. It certainly does. Uh, Today we saw Vernon in full gear and Apple in full gear. Both players warmed up. They did positional drills. They both look good doing them. Of course uh, Vernon with the ankle and Apple with the groin How much they will do the rest of the afternoon remains to be seen. Uh, Coach Shermer did say that uh, he thought that Apple would try to do full team drills today. He thought, but again, it remains to be seen. Vernon, he still was not 100% sure. The way those guys looked, I'd say there's a good chance. But again, we're now closed out of practice, so we can't tell you what's going to happen. Uh, We can only tell you what the post-practice report is a couple of hours from now. Connor Borwin appeared to be a full go. Coach was saying that, you know, you guys need to understand that there are veterans he's going to give maintenance rest days to, which is why Snacks, Latimer, and Stewart um, did not practice yesterday. They're also on the bikes today. They are getting rest maintenance days. Nothing to be uh, concerned about. And you see that across the league, Paul. So it's not necessarily anything unique for the New York Giants in terms of making sure that the guys rest up during the course of the week before they get out there on the weekend in game situations. He did that even throughout the course of training camp. So I don't think that should be anything that catches anyone by surprise. As far as interaction with the media today, we heard from both coordinators and we heard from a few different players. We're going to start with Mike Shula, the offensive coordinator. He was asked, Paul, about the offensive line and maybe what was different. And, you know, his impression was he felt the execution was better as a group, but he said just because we won a game doesn't mean that everything was great. He said there's still a lot of things that this offensive line has to work on. He just felt that Eli Manning got rid of the ball very quickly and they strategized around some of their shortcomings effectively in order to move the ball consistently against the Houston Texans. But as you well know, Paul, the Saints are going to provide a completely different challenge than Houston did. So just because Houston played you that way and you were able to get around that doesn't mean that New Orleans is going to provide a very similar front. Well, you know, here's the question that every coordinator has going into a game after a game like they just had the previous week. They need to understand, all right, is the team going to do what they do well or are they going to make significant adjustments and maybe go out of character because they want to do certain things to you? and try to attack your weak spots. I mean, I'll give you a great example. If you look at the first three games that the Giants have played, the offensive line had the most trouble with the Cowboys' defensive front. Half the sacks they gave up in that. That's the one game where the Giants faced a ton of stunts and a lot of blitzes. Jacksonville does not usually do that. The Giants handled it rather well. Houston does not do a whole ton of that. The Giants handled it well. So now, the Saints, who blitz a little bit over 30% of the time, okay, they rely on their front four. They want Okafor to get some pressure from one side. They want Cameron Jordan to get it from the other side. Jordan's on the left side of the defense, which means he goes up against Chad Wheeler. Do they decide that, okay, we're going to do what we do and not blitz a whole lot because we trust our guys up front? Or... Are they going to say, look at the Dallas film. Wow, they did stunts, they did blitzes, they caused the Giants all kinds of headaches. That's the gamesmanship that goes on during the week. So I honestly don't know how the Saints are going to approach this. From a Giants perspective, I'd much rather see the Saints go with their standard game plan, try to get pressure with the front four, because I think that actually bodes well for the Giants. I think they'll hold up enough to make big plays against a very suspect secondary. Yeah, the secondary has given up the most passing touchdowns in the NFL through the first three games. Actually, it's 10 on the season they've given up. That's what I saw in the numbers. Well, you only the saw line, eight? Linebacker, I, linebackers, I think, gave up two. Secondary okay, gave so, up eight. So then, you know what? 
to word it correctly, the Saints have surrendered 10 passing touchdowns. Let's look at it that way, which I know for a fact Correct. is the most in the National yes. Football League. The yes. secondary you're saying is responsible for, for eight, eight of, them. of them in terms of coverage. Yes. Two of them were on the linebackers. That's fair in terms of clarification. So you're right. If you're the Saints, you want to get pressure on Eli Manning with your front seven. And the defensive line, Paul, is responsible for all six of the team sacks. Cameron Jordan leads the way with four of them. You mentioned he lines up consistently on the right tackle. And he's been doing that throughout the course of his career. Mm -hmm. And they've asked Dennis Allen and they've asked Sean Payton about that over the years. And, you know, they go back to he was comfortable doing that in college. And that's why they felt they're going to keep him on that side. Because you know how you see in the NFL today, Paul? Most of the time you put your top pass rusher over the left tackle because you want him to attack the blind side of the quarterback. Some teams, though, now, if you have two great pass rushers, consistent guys, you're content with leaving one of them over the right tackle, especially if a guy like Cam Jordan is going to continue to be productive. Well, Jordan, unlike many of these pass rushers of today who move around a lot, will occasionally, you're right, not often, but occasionally will move down to the defensive tackle spot. I've seen, I've watched the tape of the Saints. He has done some of that. What you will not see is him flip to the other side. Which to me is unique because in today's NFL, we see guys go back and forth. They move them around. Whereas with Cam Jordan, they're content in leaving him where he is. And to their point, he's been extremely effective. So, you know, this is a game where if the Giants get protection, you figure, hey, Eli Manning and company, they'll take their chances in terms of testing the secondary. And you brought up the secondary, Paul. I think the Saints have playmakers back there. I don't think it's, you know, a bunch of unknown guys that the Saints are throwing out there. They did lose their slot starting corner, Patrick Robinson, but Marshawn Lattimore was one of the best rookies in the National Football League last season. He gave him no touchdowns. He had five interceptions in terms of targets his way. This season, that has not been the case. They've targeted him 12 times. Opposing receivers have caught 10 of those 12 targets, and... You know, he's had a rough time picking up where he left off. So when you look at him falling back down a little to earth, and then you see the fact that Patrick Robinson is banged up, yeah, if you're the Giants, you get some time. There may be some opportunities down the field in this game. You want to talk about guys who you would isolate in the secondary? I'm going to give you some numbers, folks. And, and you know, any NFL person can get a hold of these numbers. So I'm not giving out any secretive information, although the common public may not have access to it. These, these are not secretive. I'm not giving out giant scouting reports, but I'm simply giving you some numbers. Ken Crawley's the left cornerback for the Saints. Teams have gone 12 of 8, I'm sorry, 14 of 18 when targeting him for three touchdowns, and he's been called twice for pass interference. Not great numbers. No. Yeah. Uh, P.J. Williams, their nickel corner. Who's going to replace Patrick Robinson? 8 of 10. Three touchdowns, one pass interference call. There's a trend there. Not great numbers. Yeah. Marcus Williams, the free safety. Teams are four of five against him for two touchdowns. Of the eight touchdown passes the secondary has given up, three of them have been for over 45 yards apiece. A lot of big plays. Folks, uh, now you know why I said if you're the Giants, you want the Saints front four to try to get pressure on their own. Because if they do not, that secondary is left hanging out to dry. And it is proven to be the case over the first three games. Everybody has had a field day. Even the Cleveland Browns, that game wasn't extremely high scoring, Paul. It was 21-18. But if you go back, the Browns had a number of big plays. They hit Callaway for a deep touchdown down the field, which gave them a late lead. So everybody has taken their chances against the Saints secondary and has had some sense of success. You just wonder if you're New Orleans, which is what you were bringing up, do you look at the Dallas tape and then do you look at the Houston tape and you say, well, why didn't Houston try to mimic what Dallas did? They didn't. Or, exactly. Right. No, but do you question that? And you say, well, maybe we should try to mimic what Dallas did to see if the Giants have made the necessary corrections. Now, you, of course, have to understand if your personnel can do that. Well, of course, yeah. Which is the other issue. You know, there's the, what well, are we doing this or we do that? And then it's like, well, can our guys do this or that? Yeah, you don't just want to throw out a game plan for the sake of throwing out a game plan. Exactly. So uh, it's, it's a real game of chess going into the game when you're trying to put together the blueprint for, for the game plan philosophy. I would say this. Um, the Saints are only giving up three yards per carry on the ground. So I'm not talking about total rushing yards. 
because that can be deceiving. Teams will throw on you, of not course. run against you, so your rushing total is very small. The Cowboys' defense made use of that stat a couple of years ago. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about three yards per carry when running at the Saints' defense, in particular when running towards the left side of their defense, that would be Jordan and Rankins, teams are only averaging less than two and a half yards a carry. They're having a tremendous amount of difficulty running to the offense's right, but to the left side, uh, over four and a half yards a carry. But teams haven't been doing that very much. They've been trying to run strong side right, and they've been getting stuffed. So if you're the Giants and you want to get Barkley going, you want to run him behind Solder. You want to run him to the left side where the Saints defense has shown a, uh, a thinness, if you will, against the run. And if you can get that going and now mix in big plays in the passing game, you've got a chance to keep up with Drew Brees, who I might add, you mentioned that Browns game when the Saints only scored 21 points. It's the only game they didn't score 40 so far this year. In that game, they fumbled the ball away twice and missed a field goal. Some turnovers. So they did have some self-destruction on offense, or they probably would have scored at least 30 points in that game. But if you look at Drew Brees this season, eight touchdowns, no interceptions, mm-hmm. completing nearly 81% of his throws, <laughs> which is mind-boggling. I mean, it's... Well, ahead. well it, no, it is. It's laughable at this point, and laughable make, in a good way. I, I asked B.J. Goodson about that today. I said, the numbers are just off the charts incredible. And when you look at the tape, it, like, really opened your eyes, right? And he just he just shook his head, started laughing. He's like, Drew Brees is really good. Yeah, come on. <laughs> if you've been watching the league for quite some time, I think most people realize that. But the guys that are on the field, all they do is add a few exclamation points to that claim. He has been lights out. James Betcher also spoke to the media today. He was asked... Not specifically about Drew Brees' completion percentage, but he wound up bringing it up anyway, Paul, when talking about how this Saints offense operates. And, you know, the two guys, as we switch gears to the other side of the ball before we get to your phone calls, Alvin Kamara and clearly Michael Thomas. Those are the two guys, if you're the Giants defense, that you have to keep close tabs on it. The reason I say that, listen, it's easy to look at their numbers and say, of course, those are the two guys, but... The reason why it's so important for the Giants' defense, everybody included, they move these two guys around so much, Paul. They don't necessarily line them up in one specific area. Michael Thomas, though, has been getting a lot of snaps out of the slot, which makes him even more dangerous. But Kamara, I mean, he's coming off a game, Paul, where he had 15 catches. And if people want to say, oh, well, Drew Brees is simply just dumping it off to him, on those 15 catches, Paul, he had 124 yards. So we're talking about a player that... Whether they dump it off to him or it's part of the offensive game plan, he, like Saquon Barkley, has the capability of getting chunks of yardage on small pass, passes, long passes, you name it, because he's that elusive. Well, here's the thing. When Barkley was coming out, I mean, it went back as far as the combine, not even the draft. It went further than that. People were saying that Kamara may be the guy today who he most compares to because of his speed, his ability to catch the ball, his ability to run routes, his ability to get downfield and use his quickness on defenders. Kamara's that guy. Now, I saw a number, I believe it was yards after the catch. Kamara's number one in the NFL, and I think Barkley's number three, if I'm not mistaken. I know both of them are in the top seven in the NFL in total yards from scrimmage. Barkley is seven, Kamara's number one. I'll give you a number, folks, and I'm going to show my age here. You love when I show my age. Oh, absolutely. When I, when I tell people how yes. old I am. I've been telling people for a while now, and I've been meaning to put this on Twitter, and I'm going to do it now this week. Um, and feel free to copy it wherever you like. I, I remember the first two running backs who became significant portions of an offense's regular playbook. Lydell Mitchell of the Colts. You might know that name. That name does... Okay. Ring some bells. And Chuck Foreman of the Vikings. That name also rings some bells. Okay, now, Lydell Mitchell was the first running back in NFL history to lead the league in pass receptions. He caught over 70 balls in 1974 for the Colts. The following season, um, Foreman led the league in pass receptions as a rookie and became the second one to do it. And he caught, I think, a, one or two more passes than I think Mitchell did. So in back-to-back years, 
You had a running back leading the NFL in pass receptions. That was in the mid-70s. Ironically enough, both Mitchell and Foreman's careers paralleled each other in that they got old fast, they got injured, and both of them only had probably four or five outstanding seasons, and then all of a sudden, both of them wound up on different teams and disappeared out of the league. At the time, in the mid-70s, these two guys were as dominant a running backs as you could find on the field. And it wasn't just that they were 1,000-yard rushers because they were. Versatile. But they were huge parts of the passing game. The only other running back, you know who it is? The only other running back to ever lead the NFL in receiving? Any thoughts? Take a guess. You'll, you'll get him because you'll know, you'll know the kind of guy we're talking about. Any other running back? There's only one. Well, the, the guy that comes to my mind who was that versatile back is Brian Westbrook. Not him. He's the guy, though, that I not would him. think of because he was so involved in and the And it's Eagles not Thurman game. Thomas. It's not Sproles, you know. Yeah, well, Sproles, I just think, was used enough to uh, even Not Marcus Allen, who, by the way, was a heck of a receiver. Roger Craig is the other one. That's actually, that makes sense. Lido Mitchell, Chuck Foreman, and Roger Craig, the only running backs in NFL history to lead the league in receptions. And you look at Kamara, and he caught 15. In the last game alone. In that last game alone. He had 20 targets. 15 receptions, which is the second most receptions in a game in NFL history by a running back. And you know who's third? Barkley. Yeah. Barkley with 14. I think there were two or three other guys tied with that. Well, McCaffrey, I'm sure, is up there, He's, too. He, I don't he know has his 14. numbers. But, I think okay. he has a 14. Uh, but there's only one guy who has more than both of them. Any guess? This season, it turns out. No, no. Of, all time. Oh, all time, we're talking about. Most catches... By a running back in a single game. Kamara's 15 is the second most. Barkley's 14 is the third most. Who was number one? He caught 17 passes in a game against the San Francisco 49ers in 1980. Wow. And you'll know the name when I tell you. Well, you might as well tell me. Clark Gaines of the Jets. Okay. I do know the name, but I Later that played would not for the Kansas City guess. Chiefs. Yes. Little history lesson today, folks, on Big Blue Kickoff Live, well, because after all, that's what I do. <laughs> and it is a notable subject because this week a lot of coaches, specifically Pat Shermer and Sean Payton, were asked about the evolution of the running back position. I think we're going to get a glimpse of it this weekend with Kamara as well as Barkley. Then you're going to see McCaffrey the following week. And mm-hmm. these three guys, the two of them, McCaffrey and Kamara last year had at least 80 receptions. Barkley is on pace for that and then some. So... You know, what it goes back to is, and I was listening to Shermer's conference call with the Saints media, and, you know, sometimes when the coach speaks to a different group of reporters, they ask different questions and provide some different insight. And one of the things that Shermer mentioned, because remember, he worked with Dalvin Cook last year, small sample size because Cook got hurt, but Shermer, what he emphasized, and this is something that even when we've met with him, Paul, for example, his philosophy about if you're going to have a fullback on the roster, the fullback needs to be able to catch the ball because his philosophy is you've got to maximize the 53 guys on your roster. Why would you keep a guy on your roster who doesn't have the capabilities to chip in in other areas or other facets? So that's why I think a lot of coaches now are trying to go after running backs who can be a part of the passing game, who can pass protect, because if they could stay on the field and they can do a lot, then you're maximizing the usage of that player. So that's why I think we're seeing more of a movement in that direction. Not to say guys 20 years ago weren't doing that or didn't have the capability, Paul, but now because of the injury rate and the turnover on rosters, the more a running back could do, the more a fullback could do, it just makes that player that much more dangerous and it keeps the defense guessing. Because when guys like Kamara and Barkley and McCaffrey are in the backfield, you have no idea, Paul, if they are going to run the ball or you have no idea if they're going to run out of the backfield and catch it. And that's why they're so dangerous as players. Well, when you consider that so many teams are involved in massive substitution packages and changing personnel almost on a down-by-down basis nowadays, if you have the kind of versatility in, in your backfield where, guess what? I'm taking Kamara or I'm taking Barkley and I'm going to run them out wide. <laughs> what linebacker in their right mind wants yeah. to go out there with him? Matchup nightmare. So With their speed... And what they're able to do in terms of change of direction, it's impossible to ask a linebacker. Very few guys that even come to name could perhaps uh, I don't hang even with think them. Keekley would want to do it. 
Well, Keekley's one of the guys that I would throw he out tried, there. But, but no, he would failed. still be a struggle. There's and no we're going to find it. that out when they play the Giants. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to see the Saints and the Panthers in the next two weeks. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. All right. Let's open up the phone lines. Getting you set for Giants Saints this Sunday, 425 p.m. Eastern kickoff. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Jeff is on Long Island. He gets us going on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. How are we doing, Jeff? Uh, fine, thanks. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, I, w- with all the matchups that you're, you're talking about, uh, as a giant, as a long-time Giant fan, I, I sort of sometimes get into the intangibles, the things that sort of drive me uh, uh, in creating a, a, a an additional interest in the way a game is played and and what i'm talking about is uh how teams are affected by quote unquote the old wives tale or for instance uh you know in the old giant stadium it, george young may have asked the the maintenance men to open up the doors behind oh, one of the end zones on. to create a, a wind tunnel on. you really <laughs> believe that i mean what, what are we going through let, these let fairy tales say, here let me Come just on, say Jeff. one thing the meadowlands wind was strong enough on its own they didn't need to open doors <laughs> yeah. to make that sucker blow <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true so uh and I do remember back in 2007 when uh, the Giants played Minnesota and Eli had one of his worst games passing because yes. he was always throwing into the wind and, and, and it was an awful game for him. Darren Sharper in particular had a feast. Oh, he did. <laughs> so, so what I'm looking at also is, yes, there are intangibles on both sides. And, and one of the intangibles that always seems to be played in the media at times and with the fans and sometimes with the teams and some players themselves is in for instance with new orleans uh correct me if i'm wrong this is going to be the first game that they're playing outdoors correct yes the first three were in domes and and the passing stats that you you uh had before uh were all obviously um passing stats that were played indoors, indoors. now that this weather uh this at the end of the month is going to be anything like november or december but you know it, it's somewhat it's it, it's an intangible that i always consider when i see you know a, a, a team like new orleans in this position play and uh, the other thing, which may not be so much of an intangible, but it, but it's something that I would like to see is I would like to see the Giants win the coin uh, the coin toss first, because I think this well, is going to be won like the a coin toss. Match they've just with, decided uh, to defer. They have won the coin toss this season. They've just deferred a lot. I, I understand, but this time I would like to see them. You want them uh, to take on. the ball, <laughs> take the ball first. First, I, I hear what you're saying. That might not be a bad idea against Drew Brees. <laughs> exactly, because you want to keep him on the sideline. As far yeah, as you know, if the, if they can start fast, the Giants that is, and and have points scored on the first possession, I, I just think that's a that's a big deal. Just in the back and forth that I expect will be taking place. That's not a bad idea this week. And and look, it's been fashionable over the last few years for more and more teams to defer. Yeah. And the reason that they want to do that, just so you understand the strategy behind it, the, there are two reasons. Number one, in some teams' minds, their defense is going to immediately tilt the field on the first possession. And they'll hold a team. They think, oh, we'll hold them to a first down, maybe, maybe two, and we'll wind up getting the ball out near our own 40-yard line for our first offensive possession. So, therefore, we're giving our offense a better chance to score its first time out of the box as opposed to a ball that's going to go through the end zone and make us start at the 25. That's the first reason teams do it strategically. The second reason teams do it strategically is because they believe a lot of times that coming down to the end of the first half, Okay, what you're going to have is either A, you can control and milk the clock to where you get the last possession of the half, and then you get that first possession coming out in the third quarter. So you have an opportunity perhaps for two consecutive scores where the other team doesn't even touch the ball. So teams love to be able to do that, if at all possible. By the same token, if the other team has the ball with two minutes to go, and they wind up going down and scoring in the final seconds of the first half, you like to be able to say, okay, so you got your points? Guess what? Halftime's coming. You've just lost your momentum, and we get the ball to start the third quarter. 
So you don't get your momentum anyway because we've now killed it because not only is there halftime, but we're getting the ball. So those are the strategical reasons why teams defer. But listen, when you go up against the Saints, it still comes down to your Keep defense. Keep the ball out of Breeze's hands. Regardless of what <laughs> you do have it. in uh, terms correct. of time possession, based on it still last comes week, down to the uh, defense. Opening kickoff uh, Giants defense, uh, I, I, would, I would like to uh, uh, hold off on that deferral. And, and, and if, if, if we're lucky enough to, to win the coin toss, let's get the ball this time. Okay. All right. Well, appreciate the phone call. I'll Jeff. tell Coach for you. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll pass the message along to uh, Pat Shermer. In, in terms of this whole narrative about that the Saints are not as effective when they're outdoors, yes, they've had some mixed results. But I mean, I'm just taking a glance at the 2017 schedule. They went into Buffalo last year, and that was in the middle of November. So you know, don't tell me, oh, well, it was in September when the weather was mild. In November, they go to Buffalo and they beat the Bills 47 to 10. So. For everybody that claims, oh, yeah, you get the Saints outdoors, they're a completely different team, I understand the numbers are not as glowing as they are in stores in the Dome, but they've had some offensive clinics outdoors. They went into Green Bay in October last year. They put up 26 points, breezed through for 331, and Ingram ran for 105, and Ted Ginn had 141 yards receiving. So, you know, to say, oh, well, you got the Saints exactly where you want them, I don't necessarily buy that narrative. Your defense still needs to come to play. So if the weather's going to be mild, you think all of a sudden Drew Brees is going to be distracted because there's a little wind through the air? I, I, don't think that's, <laughs> I don't think that's what you go into a game hoping to slow down the Saints. I'm sorry. Let's head back to the phone lines here. Dave is in Cranford. Dave, what's happening? Lance, you're right on. By the way, Sunday's looking out. It's going to be a beautiful day. So I, I, I'm not going to put any uh, hope in, in the weather helping us out. No, but, um, yeah. I, I just wanted to hit on a, a couple of things for you guys. Um, I, I really like, and, and the obvious one is obviously Barkley, but I think there's there's three others, and that is, you know, how much playing time, and, and I think you're seeing each week the rookies, um, the, the, particularly the, the core four of them, you know, Barkley, Hernandez, Carter, B.J. Hill, um, I think you're seeing them take big strides week to week, which makes a lot of sense just in terms of, you know, as much practice as they can get. But, you know, real game planning. And I think you're seeing Barkley. I mean, I, I, I just got to pause for a second. It's like what this guy has done, what this kid, I want to call him because he's so young, but um, in his first three games, while the offensive line is still getting put together, while the game plan is still getting put together, he's been nothing but but sort of amazing. And, and, and not only, you know, you just see what he can do to an offense where, you know, He's just a big play waiting to happen. You know, no one can tackle him one-on-one and what that does to the, to the defense. But I think you're seeing Hernandez taking big strides, getting better each week. I think you're seeing Carter, you know, getting more reps. And I, and, and I think it's really important because, you know, those are, those are four key guys that are getting a lot of reps that, that can really make an impact on a game. This is why, or part of the reason why, I've been saying all along, you know, when you have a team like this, you know, you, it's been so much rebuilt, not a, just the coaching staff in the front office, but the roster itself, and then rebuilt with so many young guys who are being counted on for a lot of snaps early. You need to let them get their sea legs under them the first month of the season because they will only get better. They will learn yep. the scheme. They will become more comfortable. They will become more confident. They will become more knowledgeable. There's no reason to expect that any of these young kids who are playing now will tail off in the middle of the season. They should get better. Now, what you will have to worry about is if they're playing a lot of snaps, will they hit the rookie wall at the 10th or 12th game? That you may have to be concerned about. But that's a physical fatigue factor. That's not about their, their ability to diagnose what's going on at the pro level. Well, a lot of players tend to say that once they get acclimated more to the system, they stop thinking as much, and they could play at a faster pace. Yeah. And I think you're starting to already see that a little with guys like Carter and Hill. And I think, if anything, they're going to get more confident and even more productive as the season goes along. Nice to see Hill get that sack yeah, last week. absolutely. I, I agree. I, I, I would just say one other thing for you guys. Um, Paul, you made a comment today on the radio, which I thought was important, which is the ability to run the ball against the Saints. I think the you know three games is just not big enough to kind of – get a, a good statistical analysis of what's really going on. Um, they haven't faced a back like Barkley yet. and I Few think people have. Past, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, and I think their pass defense, you know, makes you want to throw the ball a lot. But I really do think that there's going to be a chance to, to, you know, run the ball effectively. And then I think on defense, the other scheme 
which I think plays to our strength, which is the only way to really pressure Breeze, in my mind, is more up the middle. He's mm-hmm. too good when you get him around the edge. He steps up into a pocket. But if you can get him up the middle and put pressure on um, his size, and, and that's where he doesn't want that pressure to come from. And I think with Tomlinson, Hill, Snacks, I think we, you know, we could have some success there. And I'd, I'd like to just get your guys' comments on that. Uh, let me go two, two, for eight, two, two, two comments on this. A, you're absolutely right. The conventional wisdom on Breeze has always been to pressure him up the middle. The Giants can blitz with Ogletree and Collins. They do like to send those guys between the A gaps and the B gaps. Uh, let me make something clear. The Saints have always built their offensive lines when they have had good ones from the inside out. They have yep. made sure they had just dominant guards and centers because they knew that you had to keep people out of Breeze's windshield. Yeah. Okay? So you're you're absolutely dead on. I, I, I love your perspective on that. You were totally on. The other thing that you were talking about in terms of uh, running the ball and having balance, here's what the Saints will do. They play a lot of man coverage, okay? They mix in some zone, but they play a lot of man, and what they also do is play a lot of single high safety. Now, you've been around long enough to know, Lance, around this Giants team, the Giants feast on single high safety coverages. Shepard and Beckham in particular shred single high safety coverages practically in their sleep. Now, to make sure that the Saints wind up doing a lot of single high safety, you got to make sure you run the ball because that's going to bring one of the safeties down. You see? So so get get that strong safety sucked down into the box so where even if the Saints want to get out of the single high, they're going to be forced to play single high. And now your free safety is going to be left with his pants down by his ankles (laughs) when these two receivers start running by him. Which is what the Baltimore Ravens learned a few years ago as Odell Beckham ran by the entire team. This is a a great call. Nice job today. Hey, Paul, just let you run real quick. Does Stupor, I'll let you go with this, does Nathan Stupor and the fact that Kareem Moore, Cameron Moore, who hasn't been active, but uh, both of those guys, uh, Stupor was with them for two years, yeah, yeah. and both of them were in camp with them. Yeah. Do you think that gives them any any uh, advantage, or is that overblown? I think every team will always try to glean anything that they can from someone who was in somebody else's camp a short time ago. You'd be foolish not to do it, but to say that it's a significant advantage that will make the difference in a game, I doubt it. But, hey, what if it's that one tiny mannerism that he's able, one of these guys is able to tell Odell Beckham Jr. about one of the guys in their secondary, and he takes advantage of that mannerism for a 75-yard touchdown catch. Well, you know, oh, gee, sorry, not sorry. Yeah, you give him a few tips. (laughs) And, and Dave, appreciate the phone call. I think the best example, thank you, you got it, is uh, on Hard Knocks. I don't know if you saw this season, Paul, but when the Browns played the Eagles, this was when Michael Kendricks was still on Cleveland. Greg Williams, their defensive coordinator, had Michael Kendricks come up and he addressed the entire defense and he broke down every single Eagles offensive personnel. And I thought a lumber of the tips were interesting. He talked about how he thought Zach Ertz was their best receiver, but he's not very physical at the line of scrimmage. And he went down the row and the episode actually gave a nice detailed synopsis of what Kendricks told the team. So I think to the last caller's point, yeah, it's possible Nate talks with a lot of his defensive teammates and says, okay, this is the tendencies of Kamara. This is the tendencies of Michael Thomas. Those things, I think, happen no matter what you see across the NFL because mannerisms, I think, are always key. How a guy gets off the line of scrimmage. But as far as scheme, I'm sure since Nate left the Saints, Dennis Allen has tweaked his defense a little. Well, let's make something very clear. If your scouting staff and your coaching staff have done a good job of analyzing the opponent then 98%, okay, of what you need to know to face the Saints this week is going to be coming from them. Of course, yeah. But, again, that's not to say that Stupar may know a little bit about a mannerism that the scouts didn't pick up or that the assistant coaches, when they were looking through the film themselves, didn't see. There's always the chance that there'll be a small crumb. But if your scouting staff and your personnel department and your coaching staff are any good at what they do, they're going to filter out probably 98% of the stuff you need to know anyway. I think a guy like Nate 
he could reinforce some of those things in talking to his teammates. That's what I think his benefit would be to the rest of the guys on the roster. Before we get back to the Lions, wanted to piggyback off of another comment that the last caller brought up with respect to the Saints and their rushing defense and how much substance do you put behind those numbers. Yes, they have not gone up against a running back in the ballpark of Saquon Barkley in terms of his versatility and skill set. With that being said, here's why I don't think the numbers are skewed or the numbers you shouldn't put some substance behind. Because I'm looking at the volume of rushes, Paul, from the opposition this season against New Orleans. Tampa Bay ran the ball 34 times. I mean, that's a lot of runs over the course of a contest. And they did get over 100 yards as a team, but the Saints held them to just 3.3 yards per carry, including Peyton Barber, their starter, who had 3.6 a carry. So Tampa Bay doesn't have a Saquon Barkley, but Tampa Bay ran the ball 34 times. So the Saints weren't put in a position where Ryan Fitzpatrick threw 50 times and they were barely running it. Okay, then you go to the Cleveland game. Cleveland ran the ball 27 times. For 93 yards, 3.4 yards per carry. So same ballpark measurement that the Saints held the Browns to. Carlos Hyde got over 15 carries in that game. Not Saquon Barkley, but they were tested against a workhorse. And then you go to the last matchup against the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, Devontae Freeman didn't play. I get that. Tevin Coleman's not Saquon Barkley, but Atlanta ran the ball 22 times and their starting running back had 15 carries and they held him to just 48 yards, 2.2 yards per carry. So the volume of carries has been there. The opposing teams have run the ball against the Saints. To say that those numbers don't add up because everybody's throwing against the Saints, to me, is completely misleading. If you're getting tested and the opposition's running the ball against you in the ballpark of 20 to 25 times, that, to me, is a good barometer. And I think that's been showcased over the first three games for the New Orleans Saints rush defense. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Lance Metal, Paul Dettino with you here. Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's head back to the lines. we got Sergeant James Kennedy on the line for the U.S. Army in Richmond, Virginia. Sergeant, how are we doing today? Appreciate the call. Uh, good, Lance and Paul. Um, thank so you for your service. Yes, Before you for your we service. say anything else, because that's important, and I, we appreciate that. I appreciate it. I just retired this July, so I'm going to make all these games as much as I can. <laughs> God nice. bless to you. Great. <laughs> I'm so happy. Um, but another quick thing, um, what I was going to talk about the Saints, too, um, we got to keep our offense on that ball. Uh, pretty much and keep uh, Drew Brees down as long as we can. And as long as everybody plays a team, just like last week, I think we're going to be fine. And the switching of flowers, I understand what had happened, but you can't blame it all on him. Next man up, and we do what we have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we want everybody as good as the first guy. But if we continue what we're doing now and get a little better each week, we'll be all right, even though how hard the schedule is. But Eli is doing a fantastic job. Saquon, everybody, coach. I was watching the, the after the game about giving the uh, Gettleman a ball and the coach a ball. That was really nice. Yep. But we have to do what we have to do to continue to be strong and just keep it going. Sarge, and if I, I can, if, yeah. Before you go, Sarge, I, I want you, I want to just say something to you. I don't know if you can listen to us online. If you're only on the phone, please don't ignore the credit that needs to be given to John Greco at center. He had a sensational game in Houston. Coming in, 11-year pro, having to step in for, for John Jalapio, who had gotten injured, broke his leg in a Dallas game. Greco had only started three other games at center since 2014 in his 11-year career. And he was masterful against the Texans. He was assertive. I was on the field for the whole game behind, by, by the, the Giants bench. And as I was moving up and down the line of scrimmage, he was so assertive, so confident, double and triple checking every call with his guys coming up to the line, calling out different audibles and checking with Eli, looking back to make sure Eli had what he needed, making sure, pointing out the, the backers and the blitzers. And I, I know all centers do that, but Greco was so emphatic, especially early in the game. He was so on top of it. I cannot say enough for the difference that he made in this offensive line. Uh, and I just want to make sure I get that out because I hadn't been on yet this week. And that's what you get from a veteran presence like that. Even though he had limited experience at center, he's played guard most of his career, but he's been there before. Did he you understands. see Did you see one guy, one defender, all game coming clean on Eli? No. The only ones you saw when, when Watt beat um, um, Chad Wheeler. Wheeler around the edge, which was physical. That wasn't about a mental mistake. It was not a missed assignment. 
And there was another time when a guy came up and Barkley tried to cut block him. And the guy eluded him, and he came in clean on Eli. But again, that's a physical mistake. I don't remember seeing any mental mistakes or missed assignments by the offensive line in that Houston game. That tells you all you need to know about what a great job John Greco did. And Sergeant, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for the phone call, and thanks for your service to this country as well. All right, let's head back to the lines. Marco is in Connecticut. Marco, what's happening? Hey, guys, how are you? Good night, Marco. What do you got for us? Uh, You know, I've been thinking about this, and I I literally just jumped on, so I don't know if you brought this up earlier. Um, The Saints team from last year, they they brought back uh, more or less the same roster, especially on offense. The nucleus, Uh, for the most part, is still together. Still together, right. I mean, they're missing Ingram, but um, more, and, and I think on defense, too. Um, I wanted to know if you talked about this. Do you think there's any advantage um, to Shermer having played them last year as the offensive coordinator for the Vikings and uh, what that kind of brings uh, in preparation for this game? Well, I actually, it's funny. I brought that up on Twitter last night, the fact that this is the oh. third time in 22 games that Pat Shermer is going up against Dan- Dennis Allen's defense. Dennis Allen is the defensive coordinator for the Saints, and he has been with the team for four seasons. So the Saints have been running his scheme over the last few years. So some of the personnel's changed, of course, but the scheme yeah. is pretty much familiar to Pat Shermer. And I think certainly that helps the fact that, you know, he's been exposed to that defense in a very small period of time three times now. So, I mean, I do think that the familiarity with the personnel, guys like Cam Jordan, Sheldon Rankins, some of these other players, you know, Alex Okafor was hurt last season, so he didn't really see much of him. But yeah, I think the scheme, some of their big playmakers, I think it's going to help. I I don't know necessarily if it's going to be a huge advantage because it's not as if Sean Payton and Dennis Allen haven't necessarily seen Pat Shermer's offensive scheme with the Vikings, too. You know, it goes both ways. you got to look at it through the lens. But I think familiarity helps. It can't hurt. If you're curious, the Vikings scored 29 points each time against the Saints in their two meetings last year. But neither time did they rush for 100 yards. Well, which speaks volumes of that Saints run defense, which was no joke last year either. My my thought, what I what my next question was. Oh, here it is. Um, in, in either of your film reviews uh, with the Saints, there's a guy that I keep hearing about, but I have not watched any of the Saints games this year. But I, I've been hearing about him. I think he's a backup quarterback, Taysom Hill. Yeah. Are you familiar with him? What yeah. Is he, uh, is he is he involved in in some of the packages that they're running? Well, what they're doing is they're trying to take advantage of his versatility. Number one, he's a return guy for them Mm -hmm. because they lost their number one return guy, Tommy Lee Lewis. Mm -hmm. He suffered a knee injury in week two. So Taysom Hill's been returning kickoffs. He's got four kickoff returns for over 100 yards. And they try to move him around on some offensive sets. He's run the ball a few times out of the backfield. They try to get a little bit clever because they feel they like his talent and his skill set. He's out of BYU. This is the second season in the league. I mean, they certainly showcased him as a quarterback in the preseason, but when you got Drew Brees, you're not going to take him out from under center. And, and, and they're certainly not trying to do what the Ravens did earlier this season, if you recall. I don't know if you saw that, Paul, where they had Lamar Jackson come in and then Joe Flacco gets yes, run I out seen that. as a wide receiver. You know, Drew Brees, you're not taken out from under center, but you're going to move Taysom Hill around because he could be a receiver, he could be a runner, and he contributes on special By teams. all means, if the Saints are listening and they want <laughs> of course, to yes. spread Brees out <laughs> from under center and put him on the flank, yeah, take him out. Please yeah. go right ahead. Of take course. the ball out of right. his hands. I'm good with that. Yeah. <laughs> last, last, last thing for me, and I, um, yeah, I'm always curious about that trickery stuff, but last, last thing for me, I've noticed in every game, um, Jenkins has really settled down after a big play. And I don't know if it's his fault or if he's the main guy in coverage, but it seems like it has been. And then he's, and then he's calmed down, and whereas the defense has really set in in the second half. Um, and I've usually, during the game, I'll text my brother and say, hey, there's a big play with Jenkins. He's going to settle down. But the thing is with the Saints, and you guys know this, they don't take the foot off the gas pedal when it comes to offense. No. Um, and, 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 that, and those big plays are going to come and come and come. So... I think uh, a guy like Jenkins is going to have to be pretty pretty flawless from the beginning to the end of the game, especially if he's going to be lining up with Michael Thomas. So, thanks, guys. I appreciate you. All right. Appreciate sure. the phone call. 
Uh, you got I, it. I will tell you that has been the one area that folks have said to me if they wanted to pick apart Janoris Jenkins, who last year played with an injury for much of the season and wasn't himself. The one thing that they'll say is, much like one of these great starting pitchers, they say get him in the first inning, or you probably are not going to get to him. With Jenkins, that's the thing that people have said to me. you got to hit him with a deep ball early because as the game goes on, he gets better and better. And it's going to be a lot tougher to, to beat him deep once the game gets going and he starts getting into the flow. Well, and we saw Jacksonville tested him early with Keelan Cole, and then Dallas tested with Tavon Austin. Now he slipped up. So, you know, that was what I think really impacted that play and then didn't necessarily get the safety help from Curtis Riley. But that's what teams have been trying to do, Paul, to your point. Mm -hmm. They've been going after him very early. Now, related to the last caller's question, and I think this is relevant to the discussion we're having right now as I try to involve some tweets and we'll take more of your phone calls at 201-939-4513. Dylan at DillyWilly15, that is some Twitter handle, do you think Jenkins will shadow Michael Thomas for the game Sunday? Now, here's why I think this is a really good question, Paul. As I mentioned, they've been lining up Michael Thomas a lot out of the slot. I wonder if the Saints are going to do that to see whether or not Jenkins is going to run with him early in the game. Because if you move him into the slot, do the Giants say, hey, now we're going to move B.W. Webb around and Dante Dion, or we're just going to say, hey, Jenkins, you're assigned to him. I'm not so sure that they're going to move him everywhere if Thomas lines up in the slot. They might do that, that is the Saints, just to see what's going on, and then as a setup for what they might want to do later in the game. That's fair. In other words, slot him out a couple times early, then get away from it, and then maybe in the third or fourth quarter, if they need a drive, all of a sudden they throw him back in there because they think they know how the Giants are going to react. Teams will do that. Um, I will say this. I got a hunch the Giants won't shadow him. Just a hunch. Because um, last week in Houston, did you notice Michael Thomas came out as the extra defensive back in the sub package to yeah. start that game. Thomas is a safety by trade. You like him a lot. I do. Off his days with the Dolphins. And I think he's proven that so far he's with the Giants. He's a tough player. He is. And what they did was they used him in the sub package as the nickel, if you will, a three safety package. Um, and he was taking care of the guy in the slot, but he was coming down and charging the line to help and run support. Yeah. Now, the reason I like that is because Dante Dion, who I think has coverage skills in the slot, is such a small guy that even though he plays bigger than he is, he's a small guy. And to put him in a situation where he's got to do run support out of the slot is not the best way to go. So I thought it was very interesting how they brought Michael Thomas into that role. First time we'd seen that, by the way. We did not see that in camp. We did not see that in the preseason. We did not see that in the first two regular season games. And all of a sudden, they come out opening up against the Texans. And in Houston's first offensive possession, there's Mike Thomas in the slot on the right side of the offense. And, you know, I, I was doing sideline for radio. And I and I told Schmelk up in the booth, I said, do you see this? We hadn't seen that before. That's new. Well, and part of that, I'm sure, is because Eli Apple didn't play. So that was the no difference question. between the first two games versus the third game. But we don't know exactly what Apple's status is now. But you got to wonder, Thomas was effective in run support. Yeah. He did a solid job. That might be something we see more of going forward, even if Apple is back. And I've said this, even when he joined the roster, you know, everybody looks at him as a special teamer, and he's been one of the best special teamers in the NFL, but there's more to Michael Thomas. That story where you know, the Dolphins picked him up from the Niners practice squad, I've told this a few times on this show, and they have very few days to learn the scheme. He specifically, they're playing the New England Patriots too, so it's a huge divisional game, and Michael Thomas winds up getting the game-sealing interception in the end zone off of Tom Brady that week. So the guy can play defense. He can be put in various roles and thrive. Though, I think it's fascinating, and I don't know if you've looked at it through this lens. Are you telling us we could have Michael Thomas against Michael Thomas this weekend? I hadn't really Have you about given that. that much thought? It just dawned not. upon me. I have not. We could have Michael Thomas on Michael Thomas. How about them apples? <laughs> Ponder that, okay? I mean, mind-blowing stuff here. It really is. I think we'll kick off live. 
pass intended for Thomas, tackled by Thomas. That may be something very interesting to watch. Yes, from a broadcasting it, it standpoint, be. not necessarily fun. But Bob's going to have fun with oh, that. Oh, I'm sure he will. Yes, and we'll have fun breaking it down but, and analyzing But, you it. know, to be serious, the one thing you know about Thomas, you cannot have a reputation as a good special teams player unless you hit. So you know he will hit guys. Embraces the physicality of the game. No doubt about that. Let's head back to the phone lines. We got Coach Marvin in Delaware. Coach Marvin, what's happening? How you doing, Lance? Paul? What's doing up, right? Coach? How y'all doing? Doing very well. What's happening with you? What do you got for us? Oh, real quick. Um, this is going to be a tough game for them defensively on all levels. The, the, front, the, uh, the front seven guys in that back four is going to have a difficult um, time. Um, my real concern is that the uh, free safety spot. Um, Rowley's been playing decent. But he's been making some really tough angles on some plays. That mm-hmm. You're right, and, and and that concerns me in this particular game. That you, you cannot let guys get behind you in this game. They they they're going to stretch the field, and um, Breeze will find them if they're open. Um, my other thing is I'm very upbeat about Dion. I, I, I think everybody's talking about his size. Sometimes, yeah, size do play, but, you know, you can ne- never measure a person's heart. This guy's heart is really big. Yes, it and, is. Yeah. And, the one, and the one thing I like about him that I really love is if they can implant that into um, Apple, you got an all-pro, is he plays the ball so well regardless of who he's playing. And uh, I, I, I think uh, him in the slot, I, I think I, I'm – I'm very encouraged with him in the slot more so than Webb, but even though Webb plays well too. But I just think that I think Dion would take that challenge of this guy. He just has that aura about him that's similar. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it that's uh, similar to uh, Baker Mayfield style. It's the aura that they bring to the game and that excitement that they bring to the game that they're playing, and they they love playing the game, and Dion has that. Well, so, you, know, you, you know what he's got, Coach, that, that a lot of people don't understand because they don't have his physical shortcomings? And I'm not trying to be funny, Lance, but honest to goodness, because Dion is smaller than most guys on the field, and on most Sundays he may be the smallest guy on the field, he has a chip on his shoulder about that, and he's not going to be picked on because he's small. And he's going to go out there, and he's going to play with the heart, the intensity, and the emotion, and the physicality, and give you everything that a six foot two, 220-pound defensive back would give you. Because that's how he has to overcome his physical deficiencies. And, and you're right. His heart is the size of an elephant, and he's always around the ball. He's got tremendous instincts. He's got quickness. Look, when I watched his tape at Boise State, and I told everybody that the second the Giants signed him as a free agent, I said, that is my dark horse to make this team. You remember. You've been listening to the show a long time. I, remember, I, I love the kid. I love the kid. I absolutely loved his tape because he doesn't play to his size. He plays above his size. And he's fearless about it. He doesn't care if you line up a six foot two, six foot three receiver opposite him, and he knows physically it's a mismatch. He doesn't care. His attitude is, I'm going to find a way to make the play anyway. Now, the problem is, there will be times he's in over his head, and the water is too deep, and he's going to get burned. And we've seen that happen. But it won't be for lack of effort, because he's going to try. Well, that's why you put him in a position where you think he can thrive. That's the key. I remember when Spags was here as the defensive coordinator, we've told this story too. We'll let you continue, Coach Marvin, in a second here. When they had the preseason game against the Buffalo Bills, and they had a few corners, I think, got hurt. Dion was thrown in a tough position against a taller Bills wide receiver. And what did they do, Paul? On the boundary. Correct. They immediately went to him in the end zone, and they caught a touchdown. So you put him in a position where he could thrive. To your point, he's got great instincts, he's got good speed, and he's got a knack for being around the football. He certainly has a track record where he can make and come up with big plays. You just need to make sure within the scheme you put him in a position where he could do those things. And, and I agree with that, all of that, Lance. Uh, you also got to remember, this guy has been hanging around with three different coaching staff. Yeah. He hasn't got cut because he can play. Let him play. Everybody out there is going to have mismatches. Either you don't have the speed, you don't have the size, or you may not have a good enough ability to play some of these receivers. But this guy, he plays. He's going to give you 100% every time. That's all I can ask for. Somebody over him, so be it. It well, happens. You know what, Let Coach Marvin? Play. 
Coach Shermer said it best the other day. He's always around the ball. He just seems yeah. to have a knack for being around the ball. Look, Kerry Wynn strips the Texans' uh, ball right there. cover, yeah. the ball carrier the other day. Dante Dion comes up with the fumble recovery. Not a pick, yeah. but a fumble recovery. Well, and, and then I didn't mean to cut you off, Paul. He almost had an interception in the Dallas game. It was right in his so, hands. So, I mean, he was right it, around it, the ball there, right too. Right in his yeah. hands in the end zone. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, and, and I put that challenge. Put Thomas out there. Yeah, Jenkins can play him. But I'm, I put my... Uh, my experience of coaching these guys, of what I can see. Now, I'm not no expert, but my heart tells me this. I say put Dion on Thomas, and I bet anybody that Dion will play this guy. He will play Thomas no matter where he goes. I think Dion can play him. And I'll tell I'm you what. To put him there. And they shouldn't be afraid to put Coach, him there. Coach, I, I, I'll tell you this. He'll stick with him. I guarantee you he if he's on him, he will stick with him like flypaper. He can cover. The question, of course, becomes, and this is the problem with Thomas, as I've heard from, from players and from coaches, he's got very strong hands. And he will win yep. that 50-50 ball almost every time. And that's going to be where Dante Dion is going to be climbing uphill. Because to win a 50-50 ball against Thomas is going to be hard to do. See, Michael Thomas is Dante Dion's heart in a wide receiver's bottle body, excuse me, because he's very strong and he pursues the football yes. too. Does not give up on but, plays. But I, I can agree with the 50-50 ball, but it is a 50-50 ball. It, it, it's not a, it, unless that's a 90-10. Well, problem oh, is, Breeze usually makes them 90-10. Yeah, he, he favors it for his wide receiver and, and it doesn't hurt that Thomas is also 6-3 too. So, you know, that, that adds a little bit more of an advantage to the wide receiver. And Jenkins is how tall? Jenkins? What is Jenkins? Jenkins is about 5'10". 5'11". 5'10", 5'11". ballpark, yeah. Certainly bigger than Dante. But he's not bigger than Thomas. No. No. no, no not even not close. Right. Yeah. So, so Thomas is also going to overjump all of them. Am yeah, I right? but, you, but you, you, know what, you know what Jack Rabbit could do if he's in that matchup? He can get physical with him. Jenkins because, has a little more meat and potatoes, yeah, too, on he's, the bone. He's got yeah. a frame. Yeah. He's got a frame that can give Thomas some some chucking at the line of scrimmage and and give him difficulty on the release. Dante Dion, that's one thing about him. He's going to have to rely on his coverage skills because he's not going to be able to impede a release with his small size. Yeah. I agree with both of you on that. The physicality, yes, I still believe in him. But before I go real quick, my last statement is three weeks ago I said Willis agent. Uh, or the coaches should tell him to get ready. And they put him out there. I mean, he, he, he did okay. I mean, I'm not going to slam flowers again. I agree with the coach. I'm, I'm just giving Willer a chance. That's the way people need to look at this. You can't throw flowers away. you got to give Willer a chance. And if he doesn't, then you're back to, you're back to uh, flowers, giving flowers a chance again some way or another. So Well, flowers is the third tackle, so they absolutely need him because they need him as an insurance policy. So he has an extreme right. amount of value on this roster. There's no doubt about that, Coach Marvin. We'll let you go on that note. Thanks, Appreciate Coach. the phone call. You got it. Bye. I think, though, it's important, and John and I emphasized this on Monday's show, and I just want to continue to say this. Do not throw out the narrative that – Wheeler came in, Flowers went out, and the offensive line magically improved. Because as Paul, you mentioned, John Greco, to me, played a significant role given the fact that he was in for a full game. There were two changes on the offensive line, and there were none of those miscommunication breakdowns of picking up what the opposition was doing, which was happening in the Dallas game, and it wasn't necessarily happening with Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers, I thought, held his own with Demarcus Lawrence throughout the course of that game. So to me, it happened to be coincidental where the one game Flowers didn't play, the Giants' offensive line held up for the most part, did enough to win the football game. But to say that everything is magically better without him is extremely misleading. I agree with you a thousand percent. And by the way, again, as we said at the start of the program, Texans didn't do much stunting. Exactly. They, they, they didn't pose they, the same challenge Schematically, they yeah. did not pose the same challenge that Dallas did. Let's see what the Saints decide to do. I Again, it's not in their nature to do that. So I think they'll play more straight up. I think, which would be to the Giants' advantage. Well, and here's another thing to look at. And listen, in these base defenses, they're short-lived because normally most defenses are going to go into those nickel formations where they change personnel. But... 
Houston was a 3-4 defense. Whereas now you're seeing, you know, New Orleans will mix and match, but they basically have a 4-3 a, a front for the most part. So, you know, when you take that into consideration, could they then mimic what Dallas did because of the similar front that Dallas presented? That's maybe something to throw out there if indeed they're looking to duplicate that. Just another thought in terms of the different schemes that you're going to see week to week. And New Orleans is obviously completely different than what Houston's front provides as Look, well. Look, it's not something they usually do. So if they want to get uncomfortable, that's why the Giants are actually in a decent position because what they have shown an Achilles heel to have is not something that New Orleans does on a normal basis. So New Orleans will have to go out of the box to attack the Giants in that way, which for all we know, could lead them vulnerable to the run. Listen, it's pick your poison type of thing. They complement each other, the secondary and the defensive line. If you over-pursue with one, you're going to leave the other element oh, out to dry. And if and you, you over-pursue with Barkley, you'll pay for it. Yes, you're, you over-pursue with Beckham, you'll pay for it too. But here's the other thing, which you wonder how creative can they truly get, Paul, considering this is a week where they just lost their starting slot corner in Patrick Robinson. So how many chances do they truly want to take knowing that you're going to throw a new guy into the slot? Not necessarily a new guy to the team, but somebody you weren't lining up well, there consistently. P.J. Williams. P.J. Williams, correct, who is more of an outside guy. already this season. So you're doing that now on top of maybe adopting stunts? I'd be very surprised if that happens. I'm not saying that you were laying out that that is going to happen, but I just don't know how many things they want to roll out with the dice here this week, given yeah. the fact that they lost some personnel in the process. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. Appreciate all the phone calls, all the tweets as well. We'll continue to interact with you off the air. Big Blue Kickoff Live back up and running tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. Eastern as we get you set for the Saints and the Giants Sunday, 4.25 p.m. Eastern. Our pregame show will start 2.10 p.m. Eastern on WCBS News Radio 880. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday and stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.